Welcome to In Between. By now I'm already two weeks uh, back in Delhi and I'm always surprised like how seamlessly I managed to glide from one context into the other one and I realized that uh, my body still knows how to do certain gestures, ways of walking and talking and being and standing and Uh, how my brain manages to again find like uh, all my Hindi vocabulary, how I remember places suddenly again, how I know words and yeah, how I also still can totally eat all kinds of food here, how I still have the taste for it and all the memories of all the flavors come back and I always find it so interesting how somehow our body and our brain seems to save all of these things but we cannot access them unless we're in that space so I it needs me to come here and suddenly all of this comes out or it needs something to trigger that and I find that so interesting like also how our environment imprints itself on our body and yeah is kind of saved somewhere within our being and so that it can reach the surface again whenever needed. But uh, there are of course certain things which I think I can never get used to, uh, which I've talked about a lot before, which is uh, the children begging, which is still hard for me to see like all the time. There are like some moments which are kind of okay, still difficult to deal with, but they are okay. Like for example, I still uh, have my almonds with me all the time. So whenever kids beg, I just ask them, do you eat almonds in Hindi? And usually they say yes, and then I pour it into their little hands. But I try to never give them money, and uh, yeah, I've talked about it, this a lot before. So one cute thing happened to me, I... By now, of course, I know most of the red lights and crossings around where I'm living. So, and I'm there a lot in either in a rickshaw with my own scooty or with friends, whatever. And uh, there was one girl, one little girl who was begging and she suddenly recognized me and she came, ah, almonds, almonds, can I get almonds? Because she remembered that most of the times I have almonds with me. And I was so surprised also that she remembered me. And of course, I uh, thank God I had almonds with me that I could give her. And that was really cute. And then I talked to some friends of mine about it and they were like, yeah, you you have become uh, Badam Bali Didi. So the the almond sister or the almond aunt <laughs> and I was like okay I think I can live with this but there are also moments which are a lot harder to take like for example when I don't have almonds with me and I sit there I don't want to give them money and I just ignore them so that they don't waste too much of their time on me but then of course still when they are talking to me or to the rickshaw driver or to each other in Hindi I still understand but they don't know that I understand and sometimes it's very, I don't know, it's very weird for me to hear what they are saying. Or one girl was like telling me like, oh, you don't understand anything of 
she doesn't understand anything, you know, like 50, so like the English 50 in Hindi, it's pachas. And then she like was counting all the numbers and this and that and talking about how I don't understand the language while I was understanding all of it. But then I kind of couldn't react or I didn't show her that I understand it because then she would have had more hope of getting anything from me. And these moments are still, I don't know, very difficult and like weird to take in a way. However, another experience which was really beautiful was uh, how Delhi kind of welcomed me. On one of the first evenings, I decided to do a walk with a friend. So we went into a park or one could maybe say like a city forest kind of a thing. And we were walking, having some food and talking. And then it got late and uh, when it's dark, you have to leave the park. So we were walking back and then I was just like really enthusiastically pitching this project ideas like listen and this could be and this and that and he was like okay okay wait I need to understand this like let's sit down so we sat down on a bench and and after a while we suddenly saw a firefly and I was like what like it was glowing and then it vanished it glowed it glowed and it vanished like it was flying like around us and I was very excited because in my life I haven't seen like many fireflies only once but uh, he said yeah in other states like Maharashtra and like during the monsoon there are lots of them but he also said like in Delhi he hasn't really seen many of them yet and then we saw another one and another one and we were like following this two or three uh, fireflies for a long time like oh it's there no it's there and like uh, looking at it and at some point, it seemed to us that like across the road, I mean, across the path, the walking path, there was another place which seemed to be filled with more fireflies. So we went there and it was kind of like a little clearing with huge trees. And uh, once we got there and we were looking up, we were like in awe. We, we couldn't believe it. Like looking upwards, like around the crowns of the trees and I mean, everywhere, but mostly there, there were so many fireflies. They were like glowing and moving. And it was as if we had landed in some kind of avatar movie or something. And we were just standing there. We couldn't believe it. It was unreal. They were like all around us. And we, we were standing there for like 20 minutes just with our hats up, like looking at them and like, can you believe it? I'm like, no. And even he was very surprised because... He said like, yeah, it's the season for them, but usually in Delhi you never get to see so many. And uh, I also thought this is definitely not what I had expected to find in the heart of Delhi, but it was really unreal. And then he said like, see how Delhi is welcoming you with <laughs> how much effort. And I was like, yeah, I can't believe it myself. It's That was really a really special experience I would not want to miss. Another experience which was really special for me, which I would not want to miss either, uh, happened last weekend. So on Saturday, I went with a friend to Old Delhi because another friend's birthday is coming up and we wanted to get a gift for him. So we went there, we got the gift, we kind of already knew what we wanted. And then on our way back, I noticed that there were 
like paper kites everywhere like in every gully they were like hanging people were selling them and suddenly I was like oh my god I want a paper kite like all my childhood I always wanted to have a paper kite and I don't know to fly kites but I don't know why it seems like in Switzerland it's not that common maybe there's not enough wind to properly do it or if you do it kites are also relatively expensive and they're like better ones and all so it's not such a big thing but I used to watch all of these South American movies where in the favelas they do kite fights and are on their rooftops and yeah, they fly kites and everything. So I was like, oh my God, I really want to do that too. So we actually went there and bought some kites and uh, some of the thread to let it rise and everything. And then we were like uh, fighting our way back out of old Delhi with like this constant stream of people, rickshaws, cars, motorcycles, cycle rickshaws, animals, people carrying stuff, cycles, like everything. And uh, we were like protecting the kite with our lives <laughs> to make sure it doesn't break or get hurt while we are like balancing it back. And it was interesting because around me, I saw so many other people who had just gotten kites with the same idea. So I felt kind of part of something bigger and we brought them home. And the next day I was like, it was Independence Day on a Sunday. And uh, I learned that apparently as part of the tradition that some people fly kites on that day. And so I was very excited. So then around five in the evening, like uh, many of my friends came to my place and we were standing on my terrace and the whole thing was starting. Like already the whole day I had seen kites flying here and there and I was so excited. And then yeah, we started it, we like, we made small holes, we put the thread through, we like tied it in a good way. And it took a while to make it fly, but uh, once it was flying, like the experience was amazing for me, like holding the thread and you see it like until two meters or something and then it vanishes. You can't see it anymore, but you still feel like, you still feel some kind of pull on the thread you're holding. And you see far, 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 very far, high up, there's your kite and you can't believe that you are actually holding it on this thin thread and it's so far away and of course we also got into kite fights which uh, was what excited the guys the most because more and more like it got later the heat became less it also started like to like the light became less and less uh, you see the nice colors in the skies and more and more people were rising up on their terraces so around us we saw exactly who were our kite fight enemies to our right there were some uh, group of teenagers then there was a father and a kid and a grandfather and a daughter and then of course we started to get into kite fights and cutting the ropes of other kites and so on whenever someone would lose or win we would be loud and scream and look at the <laughs> at uh, the either uh, the losers or the winners who have defeated us on whichever terrace and shout and scream next to our locality there is a locality which is a bit more poor and there were so many kites up there hundreds like hundreds of kites were flying they had some music on it was like a whole party thing and it was just so beautiful and again I felt like we were all engaging in the same activity we were all part of the same thing in a way and 
Yeah, we also got a lot of kites because once they're cut, they just fly and then they land in trees. Till today, I see a lot of them in trees, on terraces and houses, on the street. And there they land, there there's the frets are everywhere, so you still see like the whole thing. And many times we collected, or a lot of my friends had fun collecting and plundering kites and then fly them again. And that's also one of the beautiful things about it. It's like you fly it and then you lose it, but you had the kite for a while and you know then it will go to a new owner or to another owner. And that was also somehow the beauty of it in a way. And yeah, I was like incredibly happy. <laughs> it was like my dream had come true. I had finally participated in a kite fight. And uh, some of my friends were like, oh God, you guys are always losing. This is like a, a loser terrace here. Uh, this humiliation is embarrassing. But I didn't care at all. I was just happy to be a part of it. <laughs> And then one last thing. So about a week ago, a friend asked me, hey, can I borrow your scooty? I was like, of course, uh, what do you need it for? And he was like, I want to go to the farmer's protest. I was like, what? Oh my God, I want to go to the farmer's protest and see what's happening there. He was like, okay, let's go together. And uh, we did that. So we met at 8 a.m. in the morning and he was driving because it's a very long, long drive on highways for like an hour, one and a half hours we were driving. And and uh, my friend is also very politically active. He has been in student politics for a long time and he has been at the protest site uh, on the on the city border of Delhi in Singu many times before, but now he hasn't been in Delhi for a while and he wanted to see how the protest has developed or what's going on these days. We have an ambulance, we have libraries. There's a tent which is for basic healthcare services. There's also a dentist camp. Really? So we got there and already after a while we could see like for about a kilometer or something we could see like the trucks and houses, house structures. We could hear like Punjabi music and uh, it took us a while to find an entry to where we could get in and drop the scooty. Uh, but it was easier than we thought and eventually we were there and uh, we were just taking a walk around and it was a very interesting place like for me. Because uh, the whole settlement was way more stable than I had expected. So I had expected it to be way more, I don't know, it has just been built up like me. Not that fixed somehow, but there were like proper houses with wood, with uh, properly covered. The trucks were there and they were covered. There were libraries, there was a medical center, there was a school. There were a lot of places where they gave out free food in the very Sikh tradition, Langar. There was this one library which was also working as a school. I mean, there were also kids who had come here with their parents. So that library was working like... I protest me, I don't know why I Kids would go there too. Practice their alphabet and all that. Just because it's a protest doesn't mean it's the end of life. There were, it was very well organized. 
and we were kind of walking around and also the people were a very interesting uh, crowd mostly men very few women like in all these old old farmers with their turbans with traditional clothes some had huge walking sticks and they were really tall they were like yeah looking at me like what is this person doing here why is she here there were uh, there were horses there were like speakers dramatic effect. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, they rode horses into Delhi one day. That also happened. But in case the road? Either some religious thing, like some religious Sikh teaching came out of the speakers or kind of a call for prayer or something, or uh, Punjabi music, or there was a big place uh, where people sat on carpets. There were speeches in Punjabi, but unfortunately I don't speak Punjabi. There were many banners um, and stickers and all with the sign of the farmers' protest or with slogans um, connected to the farmers' protest, like no farmers, no food and similar things. They have actually proper merch. It's really a bit like a festival. And what was also interesting, there were a couple of like little shops that were selling merchandise, farmers protest merchandise, which was also very weird. I wasn't expecting that. And like, like pin buttons and shirts and whatever with the logo on it and all the flags. And it was uh, quite interesting also that many shops were selling like women's clothes, although they were really... I saw one or two women, not more. And yeah, the whole thing was very peaceful. Like my friend noticed that earlier it used to be a lot more happening and active, but by now it's been I mean, nine months or more that the people have been here. That's also why the settlement is not so... It's like a proper settlement, but people are kind of getting tired and it doesn't have this energy from the beginning of a protest anymore. And yeah, we kept walking around, like uh, noticing everything. There was also tent city with just tents. There were a couple of flags, like Canada flags or England flags, which uh, suggest that there is some foreign income also getting into it. And I was reminded very much of what a Swiss media speaker, like foreign correspondent, uh, said in his own reportage that. Somehow the whole farmers' protest seems to be something between a festival and uh, and an agricultural exposition, and that's exactly what I felt because the whole Punjabi music and the tents reminded me of a festival, just like the merchandise shop. But at the same time, there were like these I don't know these huge trucks and all, which had kind of this vibe of an agricultural exposition. So yeah, and then we were walking, and at some point. Yeah, I'm just trying to find where to eat. It's always easy to start a conversation in exactly. this is chat. Uh, because that's, it's weird if we just... And then we were walking and at some point there was a place for chai and the people were in general so sweet and welcoming even though they stared at me but they were like very welcoming and we asked if we could get a chai and they were like, of course and gave us a chai. And my friend was like, come on, you have to talk to the people for your podcast or just for yourself. And I was just like, 
getting the courage to go in there and talk and it's like ah oh. <laughs> and uh, then while we were standing in front of the small eating place which we wanted to enter and talk to the people a door opposite of that place uh, suddenly opened and an old man came out and he was like smiling at me and like making gestures like come into my house come into this place and and uh, he had a turban on he had a his skin shows showed me that he works out in the fields a lot he was old but he looked very humble and very content somehow very sweet old man and then I looked at my friend and he was like he was like no no let's get in let's get in so we were sitting inside and more and more kids kept coming people kept coming they took pictures with me and uh, we were sitting there and then I took all my courage and I started to talk to the farmer and I asked him like, like how long have you been here and he said I've been here since eight nine months um, I'm from Haryana. My family lives like 400 kilometers away. I see them very rarely, but they are supporting the protest. They are supporting the cause. So that's why it's worth, it's worth it. I have to be here. And I asked him, like, what do you expect? What kind of an outcome? And he said, uh, well, we will win and then we will return home. Like a very, very simple. And I found it even more humble when I asked him, like, what do you want? What are your requests? What are, like, what do you want the government to do? Or what do you want to happen so you stop protesting? And he said, it's simple. We just want the government to take back these free black new laws that have been created. That's all. Take them back and we will go home. And I was very impressed about the humbleness of the request, how peaceful the whole thing seemed, at least to me, and how welcoming how well organized everything was as well because I also asked him like uh, and how like what do you do the whole day and he said like see there's a lot of people and there we need to make a lot of food plus in the night there's like guard duty because a couple of times uh, the police or people from the political opposition had tried to turn down their tent or attack them so there's always guards at night and we also walked past one guard who was a very, I don't know, a very impressive sight, like a huge man in like a in a violet dress and a matching violet turban with with a huge sword, and he walked so upright, and there was so much authority coming from this figure. So it was very interesting, and. Yeah, I was like this this man really impressed me and like the humbleness of the whole requests and everything it's yeah, it definitely left an impression with me. But uh in general, I still want to say that I think I don't want to make this a very political thing. I still don't know which side to take, what is right, what is wrong. I think it's a very it's still a very difficult issue. There's so many factors in place. It's uh, I haven't really formed my own opinion yet or I keep hearing different things and I'm not here. This short reportage of mine is not about uh, making a political statement or taking a side. It's more about um, seeing like, it's more about sharing what I observed, what I saw, how people treated me. But uh, and yeah, that's it. So more about that than kind of convincing anyone for anything but uh the friend i had with me whom about whom i've spoken before who is politically active so he he has more um 
clearly formed opinions about it. He has been involved with the protest for longer anyway. And therefore I'll portray a little bit of what his side is. So I asked him if he could if he could like tell us about the farmers' protest, like a bit what is it all about, like in short, so we understand it and if he can tell me more about his own experiences of uh, going to the protest and exactly what he saw there and how he experienced it. Yes, so the farmers' protest have been going on essentially for one year, more than one year. started in last year, August, so 2020 August. It started in Punjab, but it spread through the northern states. So they came to Delhi a few months after that. So initially it was just roadblocks or rail blocks in Punjab, but then they mobilized uh, in a huge scale and they have been in Delhi for over eight or nine months now. They were stopped at the border when they were coming to Delhi and the state border was almost turned into a military border. Barricades were put there, then nails were poured into the uh, highway and concrete blocks and barbed wires were put up and even if you go there even today, like we did, uh, you would see that there are armies of police personnel standing there pretending like it's a very dangerous environment. But the farmers were not allowed to come into Delhi initially and they said that, okay, if we can't go till Delhi, we will be staying at the border until the laws are removed. And eventually they had been given a few uh, permission a few times to come into Delhi. But even now, the main protest sites are at the three points and on the Delhi border. So one is at Singhu, which is the Haryana-Delhi border. Another one is at Tikri and another one is at uh, Ghaziabad, which is the UP border. What is happening there? Is it the speech? Is it religious? I don't think it's religious. But I can't say anything better than that because I don't understand what's being spoken. Neither do I, nothing. So the farmers' protest is about basically three new laws that have that had been passed. The three laws uh, state that uh, one, the uh, minimum selling price that the government used to set will not be as important. Farmers will be able to sell their products to anyone who is in the market. You are basically now selling into a free market where uh, large corporations can come in. And that was actually the most significant point of the farmers' protest, that if large corporations come in to the market, then there is no bargaining power left for the farmers. Tied with this system, the system of minimum selling price, which is set by the government, is there a ration system that goes on. It's a food security system. So what happens is that uh, for uh, certain essential products, the government has a minimum price with which they are going to buy the foodstuff from uh, the farmers. So even if they can't sell it in the market or whatever, they can sell it to the government. And after that, the government takes this, uh, say, grains or vegetables, and then they distribute it through ration shops, which, uh, which are free if you're be below the poverty line. And then if you're above the poverty line, you can buy uh, these stuffs from a subsidized price. So all of these items like uh, cereals, uh, pulses and stuff like that 
have now been removed from the essential items list. So anything that comes under staple diet is now not an essential item anymore. So when you make all these things not essential, then the government is under no obligation to actually buy them from the farmers. So even if the law doesn't say that minimum selling price will not be there explicitly, it basically makes sure that the minimum selling price will not be there anymore. So it's an indirect way of uh, making the NSP or minimum selling price obsolete. And without that, the farmers basically now have no guarantee that they can sell their stuff. This experiment has been done in a smaller scale before when uh, foreign direct investments were opened up in agriculture. So there, there were some, uh, some people's experiences where uh, there was a Pepsi farm. So Pepsi collects uh, potatoes to make its chips and the farmer would enter into a contract with Pepsi and they can only produce the product that Pepsi tells them to. And then there is a quality check and only the potatoes that are going to pass that quality check, the potato is passed through a ring and only the ones that pass that quality check will be bought. And then the farmer is left with a lot of potatoes which now he can't or he or she can't sell anywhere because the contract is with Pepsi and that's it. I mean only a few will pass the quality check but you can't really go anywhere else and no one who has been in this contract I haven't heard anyone say that it was a good contract for them and no one really wanted it for themselves. The protest is basically against corporate farming. Uh, initially it was like the central government will not allow the farmers to come in and Delhi police is under central government. Hmm. So the central government I think final say on that. And that also gives the Delhi government What has been your experience so far when going to the protest site and interacting with the people? What were the things which you were witnessing or what was your impression? So uh, the first time I was going to the protest, that was just to see what's going on. And that day I just walked around a bit and talked to some people. But I think a better uh, example would be my second time there. And that was when I was uh, cycling from uh, Shimla to Delhi with, with the farmers union flags on my cycle. I had thought I... I might not be a farmer, but I'm still a part of this protest because everyone eats. And that's what this protest is about, essentially. Not just farming laws, but everyone's food security. So that day, uh, I reached the protest site around evening, in the night. And people were very welcoming. There was food being distributed everywhere. And that is possible because uh, a large number of people participating in the protest are sick people. And they have a practice of langar, where food is given out to anyone who comes there for free. So a lot of Gurudwaras from Punjab, Haryana, UP have set up uh, food distribution sta uh, stations all over the highways and at the protest sites. So they were very warm and very welcoming. And that night I talked to a lot of people and I saw a lot of things. Uh, there were hospitals that had been set up. Uh, there were medical checkup camps, even a dentist camp. There were a few libraries where some just had books. Some, in some, they used to teach uh, kids who were coming to the protest because everyone had come 
and everyone really meant everyone people uh, brought their families to the site kids were also there so at one point they realized that we should we should not be for foregoing our life completely because this protest is to make sure that our life continues for the better and not going to school and not uh, ignore basically ignoring your daily life would be a hindrance to the cause to the larger cause so kids who were coming to the protest were being taught at the libraries so that happened every morning and there were a lot of camps which had been set set up by uh, set up by organization that are from that are not from india so a uh, lot of these uh, protesters are their family members so a lot of them stay outside india and they work in various places but their families in their families there are still farmers so they you they decided to help in the cause and they used to send uh, they still send money to keep the thing going so there are camps which are set up by organizations from outside india to accommodate people i actually stayed in one of those tents it was a tent city set up by this canadian radio station so yes it was a place where you would be welcome the spirit of the protest was everyone is welcome no one is made to feel like they're an outsider and you would be given food you would be welcome and you would definitely feel that you are a part of this thing you are not an outsider so yes i think that was my experience but yes there is also one more thing i would like to add that is this is a long drawn out protest and like i said a protest does not mean that it's the end of life it's because you want to keep living your life right so people had brought tractors with speakers installed on them and flashing lights so in night there would be places where you would see tractors with disco lights and huge speakers and a dance party going on because it's a protest not the end of the world market is made to collapse in this way as in like taking away the subsidies and cleaning the market up to the corporates then that basically so um i am from jnu and i have been in a lot of protests so something that i wanted to ask the farmers when they were there is that how could they organize this thing something this huge and how did they keep this going because it takes a lot of effort to just get people to turn up for one single protest and how do you keep sitting in the sun in the extreme summer or how do you keep sitting outside under the skies in extreme winter and still keep going so this is that they had held meetings in every village and everywhere they had come to the same conclusion that these three laws if they are held up if they are implemented then that would mean that their way of life is over and it's better to do something try something than just know that you are going to be ruined in a few years so even if that means a lot of uh, discomfort now a lot of sacrifices now at least your life would be saved for the future so that was the spirit that i saw there that everyone was ready to make their own sacrifices to save the larger you know way of life and 
the way that they are actually organizing this thing is from every village there is kind of a schedule that who is going to come when and they take turns to be at the protest site so it's not like everyone is losing a lot of uh, work or missing out on a lot of works they are organizing it in a way that everyone can do their work on the farms and then be at the protest site too so that the whole thing keeps going i mean the protest has been going for almost a year now but we are still not out of food so they are doing something right <laughs>